And chapter 11, what verse? Verse 1, all right. Chapter 11, verse 1. can't believe we're almost done. Second Corinthians. It's pretty cool, huh? Another book under our belt. By the way, it takes 10 years to get through the whole Bible. 10 years. Isn't that awesome? 10 years. In that time, we were able to get through twice through the New Testament. And uh, so we're getting there. Verse by verse crawl. <laughs> It's good, though. We need every bit, don't we, of God's Word? I like how Paul said in the book of Acts, he said, I have not shunned to declare to you the entire counsel of God's Word. We need it all, don't we? Lord, we do need every bit of your Word, and you know exactly what each one of us needs to hear this morning. And God, I pray you'd meet with us in a special way that you would transform and change us from the inside out, by your Spirit. So thank you for loving us, for cherishing us, and for nourishing us. We open our hearts to you now. We thank you for the great things you're going to do for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 So um, just by way of reminder, um, we've hit this section toward the uh, tail end of this letter where the Apostle Paul is discussing um, his apostolic credentials um, for the Corinthian church. Remember, um, the Corinthian church, there was a small minority within the church, specifically false leaders or, or false teachers or false shepherds that were in the church that were leading the congregation astray. And that's going to become more apparent this morning as we study this chapter. But they were, they were heading up a smear campaign, if you will, about the Apostle Paul. They um, had disregarded Paul as a true apostle. They had uh, talked behind his back. They slandered him. And a small minority affected the majority. And so as we're working our way through this letter, the Apostle Paul is defending his apostolic authority. And, you know, I was just kind of thinking about this week. The Apostle Paul, he put his blood, sweat, and tears in the planting of that church. Poured out his life for almost two years with them. He was there for the foundational work. And by the way, foundational work is hard work. It is behind-the-scenes work. It is dirty work. And now these guys have crept in or have arisen within the fellowship. And they're trying to hijack this work, uh, God's work. And not only to claim it for themselves, but also to steer the church away. We're going to see in just a moment, away from a simple love relationship with Jesus Christ. And by the way, that's the most important thing there is, is a simple love relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the reason we were created, by him and for him, that we might know him and walk with him. And so these false leaders were building on another man's foundation. They weren't pioneers. They were thieves. And they're going to get exposed in this chapter in a, in a huge way. And we're also going to learn how to kind of discern or un, the under, Paul's going to give us an understanding between what's false and what's true as well. So let's, let's jump in here. 
Um, chapter 11, verse 1, God's word says, Paul writes, Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly or a little foolishness. And indeed, you do bear with me. For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband. And then why? That I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit, which you have not received, or a different gospel, which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. And so the Apostle Paul begins, let me draw your attention to verse 1. He's like, my desire is that you'd patiently, you'd be, you'd patiently tolerate what I'm about to say, that you'd put up with what I'm saying. I'm about to uh, hang tight. I'm going to get a little silly here. I'm going I'm to talk foolishly, and we're going to see that played out in the chapter. And Paul calls his defense of his apostleship folly or foolishness, not because it's nonsense, but because he is to, he, to do it, he's reluctant about doing it about doing it this way. But he's gonna, we're going to see why he does it this way in just a moment. Um, he doesn't want to do it, but it's worth it in the end. In fact, look at Paul's commitment to them in verse 2. He says, I'm jealous for you. Not jealous of you, but I'm jealous for you. And that word jealous means I have a burning zeal, a, 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 a strong commitment to you. I care about you. I have a deep concern for you. And it speaks of being on fire. There's such a love that the Apostle Paul has for these Christians, and just to think about that, just to step back and think about that, they're talking trash about him, and he says, I'm burning for you guys. I'm jealous for you. It's the same, it's the same uh, description we have about our God is jealous for us. He wants us all to himself. And so Paul says, I'm jealous for you. Notice with a godly jealousy. It's a godly desire. For I gave you in marriage, or I presented you to only one husband, and notice what it says, that I might present you as a pure virgin when you stand before Jesus. This tells me a lot about the Apostle Paul. His heart was to present the church holy and without blemish to Jesus on that day when we stand before the Lord. And Paul's like, I introduced you to Jesus. I led you to Jesus. I've watched you grow in your love relationship with him, and when Paul was leading this church, with when he when the church was under his leadership, it was so simple. It was so simple, simply teaching the word, simply loving the people, allowing the Holy Spirit to to grow them. Jesus to build the church. Didn't Jesus promise that? He said, "I will build my church." That takes all the pressure off of us, by the way. And we just get to love the Lord and love one another and watch the Lord build His church. And it's like Paul saying, you had the excitement of a, of a bride for her groom on her wedding day. That was the excitement that you had. We had a, a wedding here yesterday. Justin and uh, Lacey got married, and there was some excitement in this place. And that's the, same, that's the same way we're to be with our Jesus, by the way. To have that 
fired up love relationship with him. Why? Because Jesus said lukewarm makes him what? Makes him sick, makes him vomit, makes him puke. And so Paul knew he had a responsibility. So think about this with me. Paul knew he had a responsibility for their spiritual condition, especially when they see Jesus face to face. He's like, I take my responsibility seriously to prepare you for heaven, for that day when you see Jesus. But his concern is in verse 3. Look what he says. He says, I fear. And that word fear means panic with terror or panic with horror. That's pretty serious, isn't it? He's, he's more than just uneasy and worried. Why is he concerned? What does it say? Look what it says to me. That just as the devil deceived Eve in the garden, Genesis 3, right? Similarly, with his trickery, his cleverness, that your minds, notice, may be corrupted or led astray from a simple walk, from a simple love relationship with Jesus Christ. Look at what, look what he's saying here. Now, under the influence of these false leaders, look at how complicated things have become. You've gone from simplicity to it being totally complicated. It used to be a simple love relationship, and now it's something totally different, totally and infinitely inferior to what you had. And what, were, what was happening? What were the false teachers doing? I mentioned it last week briefly. They're called the Judaizers, and they come from a Jewish background. And so they would follow the Apostle Paul around wherever he would plant a church. And they would somehow creep into the church and get into this place of influence. And what would they do? They would say, it's great you made Jesus your Lord and Savior, but now you must also keep the law of Moses. Now you must also follow the dietary regulations. Now you must also get circumcised. Not good news. You're, now you're leaving a place of simplicity of walking with Jesus day by day to something to legalism, keeping rules, regulations. We've been set free from that. And so now the church here in Corinth had what? A relationship with the law, with the law of Moses, with rules, with regulations. And you know what? I think if we take a step back and look at this, look what's happening. Paul's saying it's not an issue of me versus them. The issue is they're trying to steal your hearts from Jesus. Does Jesus care about that, by the way? Does he want people being taken away from him? No way. In fact, Jesus said, remember in Matthew chapter 18, Gospel of Matthew chapter 18, the disciples came to Jesus and said, who's the greatest in the kingdom, Lord? And they were waiting for a name. Oh, it's got to be me. It's got to be me, Peter. It's got to be me, John. And what did Jesus do? Remember what he did? He told a little child to, hey, come over here. And what did the little child do? Bail? Or did he come? He came, right? Simple obedience came to Jesus. And Jesus said, unless you become converted and become like this child, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. He's speaking of childlike trust, childlike faith. You want to be great in the kingdom? Jesus said, become like this child. Simple, isn't that simple? Simple love, simple trust. Aren't kids simple? Aren't kids simple? The little ones, I'm not talking teens. Some of you guys got teens. Little, I know it's a different story this morning. Alana's not saying, Dad, how are we going to pay the AC bill this month? 
Dad, there's, there's no more milk. Where are we going to get money for milk, Dad? She's not stressing. She's just cruising in, right? Dad, go get some more milk, man. <laughs> I like my room this cold. I'm going to reach up and get the... <laughs> She's not stressed. She's trusting Dad. But then Jesus went on to say, he spoke about anyone that would cause a little one that trusts in him to stumble. It would be better for you to have a millstone put around your neck and you'd be thrown into the ocean. That's serious. I mean, I know he gets all gangster, but it's like, it's serious. Like, that's heavy. Think about some of the people that are teachers in our schools and what's being taught. What's what's coming from some of the pulpits, some of those naming the name of Jesus Christ. That's what's going on here at Corinth. These precious people were being ripped off. They were being led astray. And the Apostle Paul is not happy. He has a, we're going to see in a little while, he has a righteous indignation, a holy anger for what's going on. And so he's saying, you've moved from simple to complicated. They're taking the love you once had for Jesus, and now they're taking that love that you, that you once had for Jesus, and they're putting it on themselves because they're trying to get followers of them. It's heavy. Look at the next verse. He kind of lays it out here. If someone shows up and proclaims a different Jesus or a different spirit or a different gospel, you're okay with it. In fact, you're beautifully tolerant of it. You're accepting of it. And you know what? Sadly, today, the church puts up a false teaching. I mean, it's so sad. It's, it's such a bummer. It's more than a bummer. It's like deadly. It's dangerous. And Paul warns about those that would take away from the Word of God and those that would add to the Word of God. Jesus warned us too, didn't he? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. What did the Pharisees do? They, they added to the Word of God. Beware of the leaven of the Sadducees. They took away from the Word of God. They start to monkey with the Word of God, share a different gospel. Listen, there's only one gospel. There's only one way to heaven. There is only one Jesus. And there's a, lot of, there's a lot of people that make up their own Jesus. Even make a God in their own image. I think Jesus is like this. I think he would be cool with me living with my girlfriend and smoking dope. I don't think so. Not according to what the scriptures say. Or Jesus was like this. He had some slick robes and he drove in a Mercedes donkey and carriage and... And you can too if you got enough faith. Different Jesus. Mormons, different Jesus. A made up Jesus. And Paul's saying, listen, they're bringing a different Jesus, bringing a different gospel, and you're putting up with it. Don't get sucked into the need for something different, something innovative, because there's people that do that. Churches that do that. We need to come up with something new and innovative. We need it. We, or, or this happened to me. I was at a Starbucks reading my Bible, and a guy came up to me. And he says to me, what are you doing? Well, I'm reading my Bible. <laughs> what church do you go to? I go to Calvary Chapel. Oh, you do? I cut my teeth on Pastor Chuck. Pastor Chuck's the guy that started uh, Calvary Chapel. Well, the Holy Spirit did, but used Pastor Chuck. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And, he, and he said, I cut my teeth on Pastor Chuck, but now I'm into the deeper things, brother. Mm. And I thought, mm, really? <laughs> the deep, Really? 
He's like, here's my card. When you want to get into the deeper things, here you go. Here's my card. I said, sayonara, bro. <laughs> I didn't keep the card. <laughs> Needless to say, but, I, but pray for that guy. Pray for him. Because it's like something new, something different, something we've never discovered before in the scriptures. If they haven't discovered it for the last 2,000 years... <laughs> I'm pretty sure maybe you're kind of coming up with something that's not in there. But you know what? There's people that look for that. Need to go deeper. I've got a secret, got a secret little thing here going on. And Paul's like, you'll tolerate that. Don't settle for something infinitely inferior. What we have is perfect. Jesus is perfect. The relationship you have with him, it's a perfect relationship. It doesn't get any better. We have the perfect word of God. In our hands, we can test everything we hear with the Word of God. By the way, this should be the most important influence in our lives, guys. We test everything we hear with this. No matter what you hear, no matter what you see, too. You line it up with the Scriptures. If it doesn't fit in the Scriptures, get rid of it. Get rid of it. You don't want it. God blesses the basics, the simple teaching of the Scriptures simply. We look at the, in the book of Acts, chapter 2. And what happened in Acts chapter 2? The gospel was preached. People got saved. They got dunked in water. And then what happened? You got an instant megachurch. 2,000 people. What do you do with an instant megachurch? You teach them the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. And God added daily to the number being saved. God blesses the basics. We don't have to reinvent the wheel. It's right. We find what we need right here in the word of God. Allow him to minister to you, to lead you, to guide you to shepherd your life. Our lives flourish and thrive under his care. Well, look at verse 5. Verse 5, a little divine sarcasm from the Apostle Paul. For I consider that I am not at all inferior to the most eminent apostles, even though I am untrained in speech, yet I am not in knowledge. But we have been thoroughly manifested among you in all Things. Paul says, I've come to this conclusion. I'm not inferior to these, literally, that word eminent means like super duper. I'm not inferior to these super duper apostles, those super slick false teachers. Listen, I may be lacking in my oratory skills, but what does he say? Not in knowledge. Not in knowledge. And he says in the last part of that verse, in verse 6, we have been thoroughly manifested among you, notice, in all things. You know what he says to them? You know exactly what we're like. There's nothing hidden. There's no hidden motives. There's no agendas going on. You know how we live. We're not phony. We're not, we're not bogus in the way we do ministry. You see my life. What I am and what I say are well known to you. Beautiful. That should be the heart of every, every one of us, shouldn't it, by the way? Besides just ministers, being real, being the same person we are here as we are at home. I, I told my daughters growing up, I said, if dad's not the same guy I am in the pulpit as I am at home, call me out. You round up the leaders, you tell them, I need to be tarred and feathered. No. <laughs> but listen, we don't want to be bogus. And Paul's like, you know. Hey, you're right. I'm not eloquent. I'm not a slick orator. My sentences may not be the prettiest. I may not be the most exciting teacher around. But at least I've given you the word of God. I've given you the truth. And I know, 
not only do I know the Word of God, but I know the God of the Word, and I've shared him with you. It's beautiful what Paul says there. He goes on, verse 7, Did I commit sin in humbling myself that you might be exalted? I took the low road. Did I commit sin when I took the low road that you might be lifted up? Because I preached the gospel to you free of charge. This, this is more divine sarcasm. I robbed other churches, taking wages from them to minister to you. And when I was present with you, check this out, when Paul was there in Corinth, and in need, I was a burden to no one. Why? For what I lacked, the brethren who came from Macedonia supplied. If you're taking notes, Philippians 4, that's where you find that. It was the Philippian church that took care of Paul and his needs. And in everything, I kept myself from being burdensome to you. And so I will keep myself. This is so good. In that culture, by the way, amateurs didn't charge speaking fees. It was only the pros. And so I think one of the, one of the comments about Paul was the dude's an amateur. Those super apostles, they were looking for pay. They were, they were in it. Why? They were in it for money, for power, for the recognition of man. That's, listen, it, always wolves, they're, they're ravenous wolves. They're extortioning wolves. They're looking for something. Covetousness. And Paul's like, I ripped off, the verse 8, I ripped off other congregations by taking money from them to serve you. But remember when I was with you. Verse 9. I had depleted resources. Apparently that tent making wasn't cutting it. Mm-hmm. Tent making just wasn't paying the bills. So there's Paul, he's making tents, he's not, and he could have taken an offer, he could have taken support or a salary. First Corinthians, he told us that a, a worker is worthy of his, a worker is worthy of his wages. He could have received it, but he said, no, I don't want it. I'm going to keep making tents. And then all of a sudden, here comes the church of Philippi to care for those needs, to meet those needs. He says, I was a burden to no one. I didn't look to anyone there in Corinth to put a load on you, to put a trip on you. I didn't look for support from you. Those brethren from Philippi, from Macedonia, they came and took care of me. And notice what he says at the end of verse 9. And in all things, I never became a burden to you. And I'm going to keep myself that way. I'm going to stay in that place. I will not start asking you now. And he says in verse 10, as the truth of Christ is in me, no one shall stop me from this boasting. No one can stop me from bragging in the regions of Achaia, that's southern Greece. Why? Because I do not love you? God knows. In other words, God knows I love you. But what I do, I will also continue to do. Why are you doing it this way, Paul? That I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the things of which they boast. This is so good. So what's Paul saying here? He's saying no one, as the truth of Jesus is in me, no one can stop me from this boasting. 
in all the southern region of Greece, including Corinth, what was the boast? What's the boast, you guys? What's he talking about here as, as we look at this? You know what he's saying? I think he's saying in the entire, this entire region of Corinth, no one can ever accuse me of being in the ministry for money. No one could ever say he's in it for money, he's in it for power, he's in it to make a name for himself. And he said in verse 11 and 12, why would I brag about this? Because I don't love you? No way. God knows how much I love you. The way I handle financial support, I'm going to continue to keep doing it this way. Why? It removes entirely, look at verse 12, any opportunity, any opening, any possibility for these false leaders to think they are like us in any way concerning the things that they brag about. You know what he's saying? He's saying those guys can never, ever say they're just like the Apostle Paul. Paul's exposing them because these false leaders came and took money from the people. And they could never say, we're just like Paul. Because why? Because Paul didn't take anything from us. Paul never wanted anything from us. He said, no, don't give us anything. And you know what they are? You know what these people are, these false leaders? Jesus talked about them in John chapter 10. They're called hirelings. You guys know what a hireling is? The good shepherd lays down his life for the flock. Right? Is that what Jesus said? But a hireling who's not the shepherd sees the wolf coming, sees danger coming, and what does he do? He takes off. He bolts. He bails. Why? Because he's not a shepherd. He's in it for the money. A hireling is in it for the money. Or for their name. Or for power. We're going to see in just a moment. Different reasons why people do what they're doing. In fact, this is what's known as clarity. Look at the next verse. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness. And check this out, the end of verse uh, 15, spooky stuff. Whose end will be according to their works. Stop, let's stop for just a second. Don't keep reading. Don't pee. Repent if you're peeking. Check this out. When this letter was written and sent, who did it go to? What's the name of the book? Corinthians. It came, it's like, do to do a letter from the Apostle Paul's here. And you know what they would do? Unroll it. And they would read it before the whole congregation. Imagine if you're one of these guys, these false leaders. Rut row, right? Either, so either, you, either they slithered on out of there or they repented immediately. Hopefully they repented and got right with God. Because they're, they're not only hijacking a church, they're hijacking people from Jesus. And he says straight up, they are false. They are bogus apostles. 
They're a fraud, a phony, deceitful workers. They're dishonest and deceptive. Notice verse 13, interesting. Transforming themselves. They transform themselves. Guess what? You can't make yourself an apostle. That, that word in the Greek, it's the same word in which we get masquerade. They're masquerading around. They're playing a part. Listen, an apostle is a calling from God. You can't make yourself an apostle. And they disguise themselves as actual apostles. They're self, you know what they are? They're self-appointed. And they're, again, they're in it for money and for power. Listen, can I encourage us this morning? Listen, I love you guys. Anyone that moves you away from a simple love relationship with Jesus Christ, they're bogus. Anybody that moves you away from Jesus being the only way to heaven, they're bogus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. There's only one way. Are you with me on that, you guys, this morning? This is like so crucial. I don't care how many, how many letters the guy has in front of his name or in back of his name. If he takes you away from a love relationship with Jesus Christ, he's bogus. I don't care if it's a little old granny with the most beautiful purple blue hair or whatever that says to you there's Jesus is one of many ways. No, liar, liar, pants on fire, honey. Here's what the scriptures say. Maria, you know that's happened to us at the assisted living. Jesus is great, but there's, you know what, there's lots of good ways to get, no, 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 time out. That's kind of tough, though, isn't it, to let someone know? But it's the yeah, truth and love. And so Paul says they're bogus, they're phonies, and no wonder. It shouldn't surprise you. Look what he says in verse 14. It shouldn't surprise you why. For is a reason word. The devil disguises himself as an angel of light. If that's the case, it's no big deal for the devil's servants also to disguise themselves as servants of what is right. That's heavy. These guys are servants of the devil. You know what that tells me? False leaders play a role without inward change. They're playing a role. They're masquerading around. But there's no true change in their hearts. And notice their end. Their works are... Are their works darkness or light they're involved in? Darkness. So they're going to end up in darkness. They're doomed. If they don't repent, it's heavy, good heavy, necessary to, to shake, to shake it up. Verse 16, check it out. Paul says, I say again, let no one think me a fool. I repeat myself, don't let anyone suppose I'm a fool. If otherwise, at least receive me as a fool, that I also may boast a little. What I speak What's, what he's about to communicate, I speak not according to the Lord, but as it were foolishly in this confidence of boasting, seeing that, and here's why, seeing that many boast according to the flesh, I also will boast. For you put up with fools gladly, since you yourselves are wise. More divine sarcasm here from Paul, right? I'm going to repeat myself. Don't let anyone think I'm a fool. But in this instance, welcome me as a fool. So I can brag a little bit. Hey, since boasting is all you're used to now that I've left, 
guess what? I'm going to drop down to their level to reach you. That's what you've become accustomed to. I will come down there. You like boasting and bragging? And it's interesting what he says in verse 17. Paul didn't want to talk about himself. He'd rather talk about Jesus. He's like, okay, I'm going to speak like a fool. I'm going to brag for a minute here. I'm going to act like all, like the many, all these other guys who brag in a fleshly, carnal way. I'm going to play the part too. That's what the eminent apostles did on a regular basis. Promoting themselves, bragging about themselves, making them the hero of the story of their stories. You ever heard someone do that? They're always the hero in the end of the story. And so the Corinthians bought into that, because look at verse 19, they bought into it. Since you like this kind of stuff, you accommodate it with, with joy, gladly. You, you receive these clowns with delight. You're so wise. Look at how smart you are. You put up with fools. You put up with fools. That's who you've allowed to be your teachers. Pretty sobering. You've allowed these guys to be your teachers. Can I encourage us again this morning? Be careful of who you allow to be an influence in your life. Some bad influences out there. Again, test with the word of God. Test all things. Hold fast that which is good. You put up with this stuff gladly, Paul says. For And this is heavy. Look at verse 20. What were they putting up with? What do the false leaders do to them? And what do the Corinthians continue to allow to happen? Look at verse 20. For you put up with it if one brings you into bondage. If one devours you, if one takes from you, if one exalts himself, if one strikes you on the faith face. He says, you have no problem allowing these men to enslave you with their teaching, with their doctrine, or for men to ferociously consume you, or for men to take from you, to rip you off, or for men to lift themselves up and lord it over you. Or even for men to smack you. Wow. And and by the way, that can be a reference to also insults. Remember when Jesus says, turn the other cheek? It's an idiom for when someone insults you, just, okay, give give me another one. I'm not going to say anything back. I'm going to receive it. So, So look what these leaders, look what they're doing. Legalism, exploitation, manipulation, boasting, intimidation they rule by power by force they lord it over they dominate with flash charisma personality they claim to represent jesus and unfortunately god's people gladly accepted this they put up with it you know what it is it's spiritual abuse jesus never did that did he did jesus ever exploit people He never did. He came to serve. He came to give, to lift people up, to strengthen us, to pull us up out of the muck and the mire. Did Jesus ever manipulate anybody? No way. He shared the truth because it's the truth that sets you free. He didn't exploit anybody. He didn't manipulate. He didn't boast. He didn't go around tooting his own horn. 
He stayed under the radar. Remember when people would, remember when he'd heal somebody, what would he tell them? Don't tell anybody. And then what did they do? Went and told everybody. He tells us to go tell everybody, and what do we do? We don't. <laughs> kind of messed up a little bit. Did Jesus intimidate anybody? That's not love. That's not love at all. A bre- Jesus, it's said about Jesus, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoking flax he will not quench. There's a big difference between loving leadership and lording over leadership. Jesus hates the deeds of the Nicolaitans. We find that in Revelation. You guys remember that? The Nicolaitans were leadership that lorded it over God's people. He hates that. In fact, we learned, didn't we learn last week that the Lord has given you and I authority to what? To build up and not to destroy. And that's for all, listen, that's for parents, that's for us. Those of you involved in ministry, husbands, the position of authority that the Lord has placed us in is not to destroy those that are in our sphere of influence, but to build them up, to strengthen them as well. That's the heart of Jesus. It's the heart of God. And so Paul says in verse 21, to our shame, in the more divine sarcasm, to our shame, I say that we were too weak for that. So, so sorry we were too weak to abuse you. <laughs> but in whatever anyone is bold, I speak foolishly. I am bold also. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. So those Judaizers were, that, that was their background. And Paul's saying, okay, that's their boast. I'm in the same boat. So it's my turn to boast. Guess what? Here's what makes me such a great, here's what makes me so great as an apostle. Listen to what he says. He's going to give us his, we have time? Oh, we've got plenty of time. Another hour? Sweet. Yes. Hallelujah. He says in verse 23, are they ministers of Christ? That, by the way, that word minister means servant. I'm sure these dudes in Corinth were saying, yeah, I'm a minister. Because as a minister, you need to serve me. You need to get me a cup of coffee. No, 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 no. As a minister, we serve. Are they ministers of Christ, servants of Christ? I speak foolishly, Paul says. Or I speak as a fool. I am more, Paul says. Paul's saying, I'm a super servant. Way beyond them. How so, Paul? What do you mean by that? In labors more abundant. I've worked harder for Jesus than they do. In stripes above measure. I got more jail time for Jesus than they do. In, in deaths often, I've died on multiple occasions. From the Jews, five times I receive 40 stripes minus one. I think it's in Deuteronomy. I think it's in Deuteronomy where um, the maximum amount of uh, whoopings or, or uh, lashings you could give someone was 40. So the Jews would go all the way to 39 because they didn't want to break the law. So Paul's like, five times I got 39 lashings. How many, what's the math on that? Like 195, thank you. 
Good job. <laughs> for Jesus. I took him for Jesus. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned with rocks. Just got to qualify that for some of us. Left for dead. Three times I was shipwrecked. This is crazy. Look at the next part of verse 25 at the end. A night and a day I have been in the deep. 24 hours floating around in the ocean for Jesus. What is that like? I like to be on my board. I don't like to be floating out. Can't you just hear the music right now? Dun, dun, dun. Just kind of floating there. What else? In journeys, often. I've taken many trips for Jesus. He goes on to say, in perils or dangers of waters, in perils of robbers. My life has been on the line in perils of my own countrymen, the Jews, in perils of the Gentiles, being in dangerous situations with non-Jews, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils, interesting at the end of verse 26, in, in perils or dangers among false brethren, those claiming to be Christians and not, they're phonies. In weariness and toil, deep fatigue, in hunger and thirst, no food or beverage, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, not having enough clothes and not having clothes at all. Listen, what's the evidence of his calling? What's the evidence of God's calling on his life? Listen, no one would do that for money, for power, or prestige. These false leaders would not be engaged in this stuff at all. You can only do that for Jesus. Paul lived a hard life for our Lord. He chose to follow Jesus. And by the way, that's actually where joy is found, by laying down our life. In allowing him to use our lives any way he sees fit, even if it means suffering, which it will. Because all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. In this world you will have tribulation, Jesus said. But what? Be really bummed out? But be of good cheer. Why? Because I have overcome this world. Why? The best is yet to come. We don't look at the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. That's how Paul kept it going, kept it rolling, right? Energizer bunny time. We don't lose heart. Why? Because we're focused on the eternal, the life to come. That's when life begins for us, by the way. When we pass through the veil and step into eternity, to look into the eyes of our Savior and hear those words, well done, good and faithful, what? Superstar? Servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. It will be worth it laying down your life now because the best is yet to come. Jesus tells us, store up those treasures in heaven because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In addition to these things, look what else he says as we finish the chapter. Verse 28, besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches, the emotional burden I carry around for God's people. That's a true shepherd, by the way. Paul cared about them. He loved them. He carried them around with him. All the churches, all the precious believers. Why? Because he loved them. 
In fact, he goes on to say, who is weak and I'm not weak? Who is without strength and I'm not in the same place? I'm hurting for that brother that's weak. I care about him. He says, who is made to stumble and I do not burn with indignation? Hey, when those precious brothers are tripped up by another person, like what's happening in Corinth, I'm filled with righteous anger for that. It's awesome heart. Paul was other-centered. And he says, if I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. I'll brag about my weaknesses. Well, wait a minute, Paul. Time out. You're not really glorying in this stuff. These aren't really your credentials. Come on. Look at the next verse. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. Isn't that great? God knows. I'm telling the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. You can think what you want. You can say what you want. But all that matters is what God thinks. And then two more verses. This is so interesting, these last two verses. It's almost like, what, why are these even here? Look at it with me real quick. Check it out. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Check it out. This is so bizarre. It's like Paul, uh, let me read it. In Damascus, the governor under Aratos the king was guarding the city of the Damascenes with a garrison, desiring to arrest me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped from his hands. That's, it's almost like, drop the mic. Okay, I'm done. What? Remember when Paul got saved? What was his name? Artist formerly known as Saul, right? He was just like these false leaders. Proud, arrogant, Pharisee of Pharisees. All about the outward, right? All about the outward. A full-on religious monster. Stuck on himself. And what was he doing? Tra- going, heading up from Jerusalem, northbound to Damascus to do what? What was he doing? Round up Christians to kill them. Powerful heavyweight. Here he comes to town, and what happens? Jesus knocks him off his high horse, breaks him. By the way, that has to happen to every single one of us. To recognize our need. That we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are all in need of a Savior. And that's what God provided, a Savior for us. Because we're all sinners. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's all God has to work with is sinners. But he knew what we would need, a Savior. And our Savior, our Lord, broke the Apostle Paul on that road to Damascus. And he ended up going into the city. He, he, he began to minister. And then what happened? They called out the guard to arrest him. They got the place. They got... They got armed guys all over the place. Where's Paul? Where's that dude? Where's that little guy at? We got to capture, we got to arrest him, take him in. And what did they do? Popped him in a basket, lowered him down, and then what happened? Off into the sunset. 
See you, Paul. What is what is that? What are we talking about here? That's one of the first perils that he faced. Remember, we read all the perils in that. That's one of the first perils that he faced. What's Paul saying here? That's how I started in ministry, and that's how I'm going to continue in ministry. It was humiliating and humbling, but I did it for Jesus. I'll never leave that place of a simple love relationship with him. I am not ashamed of my Lord. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'll continue to follow him as he leads. And guys, no matter what I go through, I know whom I've believed. I know, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed to him until that day when I see him face to face. In Jesus' name, Lord, thank you so much.